I would want them to address the blind spot of understanding the market, number one, but, but even before understanding the market, I think understanding themselves, understanding what they want to do. What is their goal? What is their wants and desires? Hi, this is Dr. Jen Barna. Welcome to Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast. At Doc Working, our specialty is coaching physicians to achieve the best of life and medicine. This is the podcast where we talk with doctors about real life outside of medicine. Welcome to the Doc Working Podcast. My name is Gabriella Denry, MD, Life Coach for Physicians at DocWorking.com. And in today's podcast, I am joined by Dr. Jude Pierre. MD, a technology and finance savvy medical professional with extensive knowledge in developing and deploying medical practice software technologies, reducing overall costs while improving operational efficiencies. Dr. Pierre has been at the head of a very successful, thriving internal medicine practice in Tampa, Florida for many years in a rapidly changing healthcare landscape. And may I add that uh, Dr. Pierre is also a proud father of four. Dr. Pierre, welcome to the Doc Working Podcast. In today's podcast, we are talking about the pros and cons of private practice. Thank you, Dr. Denry. It's a pleasure and honor to be with you today, and uh, hopefully we can share some knowledge to our physicians out there. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm so glad you're here because you've been doing this for a while as far as private practice and building a successful practice. And so how long exactly have you been in practice? So I've been practicing since uh, oof, before or after residency, I guess, is a question. Because uh, I uh, started in the ER at Urgent Care in 1998, uh, as soon as I can get my license. But I've been practicing, and I graduated residency in uh, 2000. And mm-hmm. I've been practicing, I actually did a couple of years in the emergency room. Uh, and then uh, started practicing internal medicine for about uh, 18, 19 years now in the West Spring Hill, Tampa Bay market. Mm-hmm. So after 18 years, and given everything that you've seen, and all the changes in healthcare and healthcare practices that you've seen over the years, on a scale from one to 10, one, I would not do this again, and I do not recommend it, to 10, I would absolutely do this again, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Where do you put yourself in that spectrum? It's a good question, uh, especially in this changing landscape and then the, the pandemic that we've been through. And I would say probably an eight. I couldn't say a 10. Uh, because of the challenges that I've faced over the years. But uh, I would say a solid eight. Mm-hmm. So what are the challenges that, that that lead to an eight rather than a 10? I think the biggest challenge uh, is just a lack of autonomy in, in the practice of medicine. We've, as a group of professionals, have lost some of the autonomy that we used to have in medicine because many practices are now owned by large corporations and, and large uh, hospital systems. And one thing that you're, you, we're also seeing is a lot of investors are entering the marketplace, purchasing uh, physician practices, hedge funds, and, and large investors are coming in because they see an opportunity to help increase their, their portfolios with revenue growth. And so as physicians who don't necessarily understand the business of medicine, we find that physicians tend to struggle in understanding how to grow their practices, how to manage their practices, how to remain compliant 
with uh, the changing healthcare laws and regulations. So those things can be very challenging. And so that's why I, I say that uh, it would be difficult for me to say a 10, uh, because if I had known that, maybe I would have taken a different route or, or at least gotten more education on, on the business aspect of medicine. So what do you think in terms of education on the business of medicine that physicians need to know today? Let's say it's a young doc who completes their residency and they're kind of looking at their options right now and they're maybe considering private practice. You know, what is that blind spot that you would want them to address? Well, I would want them to address the blind spot of understanding the market, number one. But, but even before understanding the market, I think understanding themselves, understanding what they want to do, what is their goal, what is their wants and desires, because whatever practice you choose, whatever route you choose to practice has to be in line with what you want in your personal growth and, and development. So if you want to do lots of procedures, then, you know, what career paths do you choose? Do you choose surgery? Do you do internal medicine? Do you do family medicine? So there is that aspect as well. And then there's the aspect of student loans. What specialties would you want to get into to quickly pay off debt or to to accelerate your growth in the business of medicine? So those are some of the factors that you have to look out for. But one of the other factors is location. Where would you practice? Um, in in a location that's heavily managed care, you have to understand managed care before you get into it. You have to understand contracting. You have to understand whether or not the insurance companies are accepting new providers in that area. So uh, I can give you an example. I, I uh, was uh, going to start a practice in Miami with a good friend of mine who became my mentor, or one of my mentors. And I said, hey, doctor, I don't want to mention his name because I didn't have, have his permission, but he he said, Jude, let's open up a practice in North Miami. And I said, okay, that sounds great. Uh, what can we do? What, what do I have to do? So he was guiding me and he, he had a very established practice in Miami, wanted to expand in North Miami. And I decided to start the process of under, uh, credentialing with insurance companies. So I went to Blue Cross, I went to Aetna, I went to some of these major payers. And the first thing they said was, I'm not accepting, we're not accepting new providers, not accepting new providers. So here I am wanting to start a new practice, but the only insurances I would be able to accept is Medicaid and Medicare, which would limit my ability to care for a population that just, you know, may not be able to sustain my practice. So really, you have to look at location, you have to look at the availability of insurances in those locations before you go ahead deep. Mm-hmm. Would you also want to know reimbursement rates before you make those kinds of decisions? Is that location dependent or does... Yeah, it can be location dependent because if you are in a location where, let's say you're a neurosurgeon and there are no neurosurgeons mm-hmm. in the area, then you can command a higher reimbursement rate. But if you're in an area where there's tons of primary care physicians and the market is saturated, then they may not give you a favorable rate because there's enough providers in that area. So your reimbursement rate is lower, which means that you have to see more patients in order to compensate for that lower reimbursement rate. Mm. Wow. <laughs> I think what, what's interesting to me about hearing this is because I've never heard any of this in medical school, medical training, in any part of the medical education journey. And I'm not sure if the business of medicine is something that is taught in medical school itself as part or is part of residency training. Do you see that as an obstacle for a young physician moving forward? Or uh, Absolutely. I think it, it is an obstacle because you leave uh, the insulated residency training environment or fellowship training environment, and you 
you want to help, you you know medicine, you can treat heart attack strokes and do fancy procedures. But when you get out into the real world, you have to understand how to bill for those procedures, how to code for those procedures, how to document those procedures. And many times those things are not taught in residency training. So we are at a disadvantage graduating, unless you go to a university system that values that and gives you some type of training in medicine. In the business mm-hmm. medicine, my my training programs did not. I learned it on my sub on my own, and that I think gave me uh, somewhat of an advantage, but still was not enough. I think to help me get to where I'm at today. You said it was not enough, or it, was it wasn't not enough. No, it, it was, was not, not enough. enough. Even though I I did do some research myself, I don't I don't think it was enough. Well, I know it was enough. Mm. And you still, you know, based on what you've learned and you continue to learn, you have built a. I mean, eight out of 10 is nothing to laugh at. You've been a very successful practitioner. What what does it take to be a successful private practitioner in today's landscape? I think one of the main things is always willing to learn and always willing to learn from others that have done it before you. And also getting good mentors helped me tremendously. So getting physicians, other physicians, business owners, or you know, even your consultants like accountants and and attorneys, just being a sponge, learning from all different aspects uh, of the practice, learning from the coders, learning from the insurance representatives. Uh, one of the things that uh, I did, and I, I still do uh, often, is keep in touch with my insurance agents. Uh, when I say insurance agents, these are agents that are in the field that are signing up members for insurances, especially in particular managed care insurances like Medicare Advantage. So. What they do is they meet with potential clients or patients who are looking for primary care physicians. So if you have a good relationship with those marketing reps, guess what? If they, when the patients ask, hey, you know, who are the doctors in your plan that we can go to? They are more inclined to referring patients to you. And mm. that has helped the practice a lot, grown a tremendous amount by just doing that. And we also reciprocate and there are patients that may be looking for insurances and you can tell them, Hey, I've got, I accept these, these insurances and here are the reps that you can contact that could help you either sign up for the insurances or tell you what would be the best plan to choose from. So uh, it's a win-win because you're helping the insurance agent out and the insurance agent is helping you out. And that's, that's really what you want in any business relationship. Wow. Now that's a big nugget right there. (laughs) Would you have any other kind of tricks that you've learned along the way that have really uh, helped you and supported your practice? Because it sounds like to me that it's not like it's a whole lot of things that you have to really master, but it seems like there's certain key things. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Please correct me if I'm wrong, that you found certain key things that really support your practice. Yeah. I think the key thing for me was personal development and growth. And that's in the areas of life that are the most important. So you've got the financial, you've got the family, you've got the physical, you know, making sure you're eating healthy, making sure you take care of yourself, making sure you take care of your spiritual life, if you're religious or spiritual, and just taking care of the key areas in your life. And in each of those areas, you try to better yourself. So, you know, for me, as I grew in my practice, I learned to read certain books. I learned to manage my finances better. Uh, I found that once my personal finances were in order, then it allowed me to make better decisions in my practice life. Because if you're driving decisions in your practice based on how much you need to make because your expenses are so high, then you 
run the risk of making bad decisions in the practice, accepting the wrong insurances, seeing too many patients. So why is that? Is that because you're pressured to see more people to try to meet expenses? Is yeah, that yeah, okay? So. Yeah, that's uh, that's one of the aspects, and that's why you know I've done work, personal work, and in, in understanding how to manage finances, how to pay down debt, how to live debt free, so that we can make better decisions in the practice. Not not based on how much I need to make, but you know, how much is required to meet the ex- by expenses. And then you can look at things that you can do to, to grow your practice and hire physicians, hire nurse practitioners and hire the key staff. And, you know, working with staff is important as well. I, I tend to want to help my staff in their personal development and growth, because I think staff that is not stressed tend to treat patients better. Um, so we have weekly staff meetings. Um, we do some exercises in our staff meetings that helps in problem solving and gratitude exercises and things of that nature. So, you know, it, it helps them feel good about themselves. And of course that translates to uh, helping patients as well. So those are some of the, some of the things I do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Excellent. So you kind of have a holistic approach to your practice and, and that has helped you uh, continue and to be successful in this realm. But was it always like that? Like, was it always from the beginning that you've kind of had that point of view or did you kind of find your way by hook or by crook? No, I found my way. (laughs) Uh, I think like many of us, we've gone through life trials and tribulations that uh, has has kind of sparked uh, us to go the right direction. I was running pretty hard the first couple of years out of residency and, you know, I had some life events that happened that, that I don't wish on anyone. I went through a divorce in 2014. Mm-hmm. And that was my big life event. And that was when I realized that I had to do something different. I was I was actually running two practices, had a physician, a nurse, two nurse practitioners, or one nurse practitioner, going from office to office, and uh, it was just too much. And I didn't take care of myself; I wasn't around for the for the family as much. And you know those things those things hurt. Uh, and so it was then I I figured out, hey, you know what? I need to do something different. So I focused the practice on one location. Did some personal growth and development uh, on my own. And now I've come out on the other side of this uh, with, I, I feel a, a practice that's on its way to doing even better than it, than it's done last year. And, you know, so it's, it's good. Uh, sometimes you have to go through those hard times to understand what you need to do to change mm-hmm. and transform the way you are. And I, I feel like that's what I've done for sure. So I think that's a valuable lesson too, because sometimes you really, somebody can tell you what to do, what not to do, but unless you really go through it yourself and experience it for yourself in a way that kind of resonates with you, it's then that really tends to seal the lesson. Is private practice, do you think, a, a viable option still? Yeah, I think it is. I, I think it's getting a little bit harder, but I think if you have the right people in place and you have the the mindset of, of wanting to learn and wanting to understand the aspects of private practice that is not taught, um, then it's absolutely possible. Is it challenging? Yes. I, I actually ran a private practice in between my moving to and being recruited by a local hospital here to kind of running my own practice, doing payroll and hiring uh, physicians and nursing staff to then going back to a large organization. And I found that, you know, with healthcare reform, it was hard to run uh, practice, run the 401ks, do the ins- health insurance, and 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 also deal with compliance and, and deal with credentialing. And so, yes, it's possible, but it all depends on your willingness to learn and and to have the right people in place to help you. 
As we wrap up this segment, what would be examples of the right people in place? Uh, a good administrator is important, someone that can help buffer in between your staff and yourself. A good billing person, so someone that can help you collect your monies <laughs> and help you with collections. And good medical staff, medical staff, medical assistants. We hire a lot of medical assistants that can can do things under our license. And if you hire good, knowledgeable, hardworking medical assistants and staff and team members, then it's it makes your job a little bit easier. And then for me, I, I think having a great accountant also helps because then, you know, they've seen physicians, they've managed physicians accounting, and they can kind of help you avoid the pitfalls of compliance issues with IRS. You know, I had, when I was running the practice, you know, I, I didn't realize as we had more income, we had to pay more payroll taxes. The payroll taxes had to yeah. go. It's either from <laughs> every quarter to every month to every two weeks, depending on how much the payroll is. Well, I didn't realize that. So, you know, you get dinged by the IRS. Uh, that, those are things you do not want to get dinged on. <laughs> and, and you know, if you have a good accountant helping you through that process, then uh, it saves you. So I think those are some of the key key elements. Mm-hmm. It's people, people elements. So let me ask you another question because I'm listening to you talk and it's like, wow, why would, how would anybody have time to deal with all of this craziness, especially since your focus in medical school and residency is to treat patients and there's very little focus on anything else. Do you need an MBA to run a practice or is what in the age of multiple degrees, what, what would that be recommended? I don't think we need an MBA. I think if you have a great mentor and you take the right courses, you take the right uh, approach in learning the business aspect of medicine, I, I don't think you need an MBA. Uh, I just think you need more of an open mind. And you also need to develop good habits. We go through medical school learning how to you know, suture, learning how to you know, treat heart attacks. And, and it's a routine. We, we know how to do these things. It becomes a habit after four, six, eight, ten years of training. Then you graduate and you have no training in the business so then you have to create habits around that. You have to read your reports. You have to understand how to read the reports, how to look at your bank statements, how to manage your your contracts and how to do the billing, how, how to look at pitfalls in the billing processes. Mm. That can easily tell you, and I can read a report now and say, okay, this month I made this, 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 and this month is 10% less or 20% more. Okay, what happened this month? What was going on this month? So you have to be able to have that that acumen, that, but that comes with just being in it and and creating a habit around that. Mm-hmm. And asking questions. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And, and also part of it too, is to remember that a lot of this is taking it one step at a time. I mean, there's so much that has to be learned, but if you try to just deal with the entire mountain, forget it. It's like run in the other direction. But if you take one piece at a time and say, okay, I'm going to learn about how to read this report and then sit and do that. It, has that kind of been your, your, your habit, your approach? Yeah, uh, it, it has been, and, uh, but it's been going on for a long time. Right. And I've also hired nurse practitioners and, and physicians that have given me the time to be able to do that. I know that there's some resistance sometimes in, in saying, well, well, if I hire a nurse practitioner, then they're going to take from my income. Well, if you hire a nurse practitioner, you'll have more time to be able to improve your income and grow your practice. So it's really about determining when it's time to hire that person to take some of the load off of you so that you as a business owner, because that's what you're, you are, if you're in private practice, you are a business owner and physician, then you can 
grow your practice, grow your business, market yourself, do talks, uh, do podcasts, <laughs> do things to help yourself. Exactly. And it's that, it's that kind of mindset, as you were referring to mindset, is to switch from MD, you know, clinician to MD business owner. And you're the CEO of that business. You're, you're the boss. Yep. And Okay. So very, very good. Well, thank you so much for this part of this wonderful conversation. And we'll be talking again about technology because that you have really done a lot of amazing work regarding how to use technology to really streamline that practice and to help support a successful practice. Thank you for listening to part one of our conversation with Dr. Jude A. Pierre, an internist who leads a very successful private practice in Tampa, Florida. My name is Gabriella Dennery, MD, life coach at docworking.com. Join us for part two when Dr. Pierre shares more insights on the effective use of technology in private practice. Hello, and thank you for listening. This is Amanda Heron. I'm the producer of the Doc Working Podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please like and subscribe. We would also love it if you checked out our website, which is docworking.com. And you can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Our Instagram is docworking1, and that is with the number one. When you check us out on social, please let us know what you would like to hear on the podcast. Your feedback really means a lot to us. And if you're a physician with a story to tell, please reach out to Jen at jen at docworking.com. Thank you again, and we'll see you next time.